So what's going to happen with all that cash? What's Omar Khan going to do? He has more than 20 million bucks, and he has even executed the first restructure. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates where you found this. And that is the figure. It's somewhere over $20 million. It's not much over that, but it's $20 million. That can buy you a whole lot of football player, singular if you're going for some kind of star, or multiple players if you're looking to add some depth at certain positions of need. Now, that figure won't stay at more than $20 million for two reasons. One, Kenny Pickett, the last of the unsigned draft picks, still has to put pen to paper. That's going to take a little chunk of that out. And the other one, this will be a big chunk maybe, will be the extension for Minka Fitzpatrick. If Omar decides to utilize the cap space that he's got now by fronting a good portion of Minka's money, then he could free up space in the future by not having as much of Minka's money roll into the later years when he and probably everyone else would realistically think that the Steelers will be a stronger team, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Might make some sense. But one way or another, Minka's going to cost some cash as well. And finally, in the asterisk department, there's that $5 million that Kevin Colbert used to insist every year he had to hold on to, that he had to carry into the regular season just in case a need arose. And it has at times, and he's utilized it. That doesn't mean that Omar has to do everything that Kevin did, but hey, you know, that's why they had this great big search to find out who could in fact be the next guy who carries Kevin's torch and his ways into the future. So what's left now? Like, I mean, these numbers are so vague that it's hard to tell, but let's just say that it's still $10 million. And even if it isn't, let's say that Omar goes ahead and works out some restructuring with some guys, whoever. One way or another, I see, especially at this very late stage of free agency, meaning whoever's still available in mid-June, there's only so much that one can spend on the group that's left over. So maybe instead you're looking at a trade, although those are rare in the NFL. But you can get a player or players that you want at positions of need. The question is, what are those? This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at pointpark.edu. I've got two targets here because... 
I can do that because all I'm doing is a podcast here and I'm spending Omar's money hypothetically. So I've got no restrictions or rules to follow and I'm going to take two players instead of one. And I'm going to go first with the defensive line. I'm sorry. I, I don't see how you can cobble together a defensive line that's founded on a 35-year-old Tyson Alulu and a 33-year-old Cam Hayward. Wonderful as both players are, you're begging for a whole lot of luck to get them both through the entire season unscathed. And I'm still not feeling the actual Stefan Tuitt replacement. Montrevious Adams might be able to plug the middle for you and Alulu can slide over, but is that optimal? I don't think so. We can throw in DeMarvin Leal and say, oh, man, it'd be great if this kid from Texas A&M could just walk right onto the field. No, there's nobody within the Steelers who sees that as likely. Possible, yeah. Likely, no. He was a pass rusher with the Aggies, first, foremost, and pretty much entirely. He's got a lot to learn at the NFL level, most of it related to run stopping. Now, Isaiah Loudermilk can be your run stopper, but he hasn't shown that he can get to the backfield, and that's a pretty tough place for a defensive lineman to be in the modern NFL. You've got to be able to get back there with very, very few exceptions. One more will only help this process. And the same goes, I think, for running back. I'll take a real, experienced, versatile, tough, smart running back to work alongside Najee Harris. I very much appreciate what Benny Snell does for special teams. I understand why Mike Tomlin likes him. I really understand why Danny Smith likes him. But I've seen, as we all have, Snell run toward darkness instead of running toward daylight when a hole does open up for him. And I don't know that that's something that's fixable. I really don't. Anthony McFarland hasn't excited me since Maryland versus Ohio State, and that's been a long time now and not at all in the NFL. There are a couple of undrafted free agents in the fold that the Steelers are interested in and prepared to give a real look at in the preseason when running backs tend to take center stage anyway. But that scenario has got practice squad written all over it. Get a real running back. I love to cite this as an example, but Le'Veon Bell had arguably his most effective period with the Steelers when D'Angelo Williams was here. Why? They were totally different runners. D'Angelo was the slasher. D'Angelo would find a hole, diagonal hole, and just crush it. Whereas Lev, you know, he would do that Eddie George thing and take all day to find out uh, where he was going to run. He'd put his hand on one of the offensive linemen's backs, just kind of survey the scene. And defenses had a really hard time adjusting from series to series. Lev would take two, D. Will would take one, and it had a wonderful rhythm to it when coupled with the passing game that Ben and A.B. and those guys had. Go get one of those. Go get a D-Will of some kind. They're out there. 
They're absolutely out there. When we come back, J1Q. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. They are the one, the only, the premier destination in Pittsburgh for craft beer. More than 500 craft beers available, more than 350 of those local, and more than 80 of those on tap. Mike's can't be topped. Not for beer, not for the awesome kitchen and menu that's available, not for all the special events that are going on there. Check them out online at mikesbeerbar.com. Mike's Beer Bar, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. And today's J1Q comes from Mark, who asks, DK, notwithstanding whoever QB1 will be, isn't it true that the Steelers have the most depth at quarterback in the NFL? What other team rivals them? And if no one does, why on earth would the Steelers want to trade Mason Rudolph? That would make no sense to me. Am I right? Oh, um, Mark, no. I, I don't see the Steelers as having the best quarterback depth in the NFL because maybe you and I have different definitions of depth. Uh, I will weigh the number one quarterback disproportionately as I think anyone should. So if I had, let's say, a depth chart of Patrick Mahomes and three total stiffs, okay, like three guys just like walked in off the street, I'm taking Kansas City's quarterback depth. Do you see what I'm saying here? Uh, the Steelers quarterback one isn't going to be someone who enters many conversations around the league as even a top 20 in the NFL. So that right off the bat really uh, dilutes the depth argument that you're trying to put forth. The other component here is that Kenny Pickett being number three on your depth chart is what makes it look intriguing. And that's as far as I'll go with it. It's intriguing. It's always neat to have someone of genuine potential lower on your quarterback depth chart. But then, you know, I could say something similar about the time the Packers drafted Jordan Love and they made Aaron Rodgers all mad and everything else. And, you know, Jordan Love's still sitting there stuck at the same spot on the depth chart while the Packers are falling all over themselves to sign Rodgers to extensions until he's like 72. There are a lot of cases like that around the league, especially when there's a star or franchise type in front. We saw it here with Mason being behind Ben Roethlisberger. We saw it in New England when Jimmy Garoppolo was behind Tom Brady. And I think a lot of us thought, well, the only reason Garoppolo isn't a star in the league is because he's being blocked by the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, it turns out Garoppolo wasn't all that great. I mean, he wasn't terrible either. He ended up being a starter in San Francisco, but it's just, you know, he's not all that. We can build up quarterback depth 
based in large part on the unknown because these guys don't play that much. So a lot of what we're doing when we talk about them is just projecting. It's, it's, it's borderline fantasy football. As for your other point about trading Mason, I, I don't believe that's going to end up being a thing. I don't envision the Steelers trading him. I don't envision Mason making a squawk about it and demanding a trade. He's really not in that position. If you think about it, purely from his perspective, for him to make a demand to be out of Pittsburgh would kind of imply that he'd be number one somewhere else, and I don't know that he would be. And secondly, maybe more importantly, he'd really paint himself with a bad brush. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to be the guy who demands out after you signed a contract and you, at least theoretically, were given a chance to win a job in training camp against another guy who was a backup last year in Buffalo. No, no, this is not the best, deepest quarterback group in the NFL. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. Tomorrow.